Chapter Nineteen of the Story of a New Zealand River by Jane Mander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. Before Bruce reached the bay, Alice had left for Mrs. Brayton's. She did not go straight there, but stayed for over an hour in the dell, sitting on a little point above the mangroves. A tui sang in the gully behind her. Shags occasionally flapped by on their way upstream. Sparrows and fantails flew about her inquisitively, but she was dead to the sunlight and the call of the spring. She shed no tears. She scarcely moved. When she finally reached the pines, Mrs. Brayton was working on a bed for annuals. The old lady knew it was no occasion for flippancy, and even if it had been, she could not have risen to it. For once, she was at a loss as to how to proceed. But Alice greeted her coolly, begged her to go on with her raking, and suggested that she should help her. The loveliness of the spring day in that sheltered and seductive garden had an instant effect upon her. So, avoiding carefully any reference to Asia's departure, they hoed and raked together, talking as they worked of plants, the last curate, the delay of the English mail, and of the topic that was then absorbing the attention of all English people in New Zealand, the declining health of Queen Victoria. But even as they talked, Alice felt that Mrs. Brayton must think her a fool, or worse, she knew the old lady could hardly avoid taking sides. She had been rather bitter during the last three days about the part she and Bruce had played in helping and perhaps encouraging Asia to go. The thought that her two best friends had helped to bring about the thing she had dreaded for years was not an easy one to dismiss, and only her urgent need of those friends helped her to forgive them. The thought that she herself was hopelessly in the wrong did not make it any easier for her to look either of them in the face. Less ashamed to meet Mrs. Brayton, she had come first to her, feeling blindly that until she was at peace with both of them she would be utterly alone in the world. She hoped the old lady would not order tea. There was something about the sociability of that meal that made it impossible to bolter up reserves, and Alice hated to think that the moment would be fixed when she might have to begin the inevitable references to Asia's departure. Fortunately, the new curate appeared, and he was welcomed with a warmth not always bestowed upon the usually well-timed visits of country curates at meal hours. He stayed to dinner, with no smallest notion of the situation into which he had precipitated himself. However, his ignorance was infinitely more helpful than his knowledge could have been. He thought Mrs. Brayton charming, and Mrs. Rowland an attractive-looking but frigid and dull woman. As a non-member of his church, she was more or less removed from the social sphere he desired, even at Kaiwaka. He had not been in New Zealand long enough to realize that in that radical country church membership did not constitute an entree to exclusiveness, and that in the remote districts of the northern bushes it was not regarded as important. By the end of dinner even Mrs. Brayton's powers of endurance were approaching their limit. Ordering a fire in her own room, for the night had turned chilly, and leaving Harold to digest the curate as best he might, she drew Alice by the arm out of the library and along the hall. I must be going, began Alice weakly, realizing that once they were alone again, she would have to unbend. You are not going, said Mrs. Brayton, with determination, resolved now to manage the business herself. They entered the old-fashioned room, with the firelight playing about the four-poster, on the much-patterned wallpaper, and on the deep chintz-covered chairs. Alice felt like a child led out for a parental scolding, and like a child she sat down stonily, frozen again, and unable to help with the beginning. 
taking one of her hands mrs brayton sat down beside her on the low lounge she began rather nervously but as alice gave no sign of hostility she continued with more assurance till her voice deepened and broke as she went on with the personal confession my dear i know how you are feeling and you can't help some of it but you know we have no right to make the young unhappy asia has committed no crime save the crime of being able to get on without you i know that hurts it hurt me once but we parents are all wrong we think these children of ours are our property that they must come when we say come and go when we say go we think we have a right to discourage them to hamper them to fill them with innumerable fears just because they are young and we think they don't know life my dear they know more about life than we have any idea of and they hate our interference they hate it and if we persist in interfering they will hate us they may not show it they may tolerate us afterwards they may keep up a brave show of affection they may remember our birthdays and keep us out of draughts and encourage our secret affection for sugar candy but the great thing will be gone for ever they will cease to speak to us of vital things and they will talk to us only about flowers and the weather my dear the old lady paused her head lowered her hands closing nervously on alice's i had one daughter i idolized her never for years did i let her out of my sight i swayed her so i thought body and soul and i believed we were the greatest friends on earth i did not think she could do a thing that would displease me and i thought that was the right thing between mother and daughter then a man came a man i did not think rich enough or good enough i talked of my rights and my will and my affection and my sacrifice and my views as if i had a monopoly over these things she listened she was very courteous she never answered me back and then she ran away with him they had one year of happiness except that she grieved because i never saw or wrote to them and when the baby was born and she lay dying they sent for me it was more than i deserved i went all she had time to say was oh mother and then she lay back dead i have seen her as she lay there every hour of my life since she stopped for alice had burst into a devastating passion of tears for nearly an hour mrs brayton soothed her saying little and knowing that the tears were a relief neither then nor ever afterwards did alice make any reference to the story she had just heard but it altered her whole attitude of mind towards mrs brayton and drew her to her as nothing else could have done and killed her pride and her foolish aloofness i do not know what is the matter with me she choked struggling for composure feeling makes me blind it does something to me i don't know what i have been cruel to her and it is all my fault and to-day i couldn't wave to her i couldn't i wanted to but i couldn't what mrs brayton sat up you didn't say good-bye to her oh yes in a way at the house but at the boat she waved and i could not and i wish i had her tears flowed afresh then you can send a telegram and say so mrs brayton realized the pathos of this little incident i'll write it out and the curate can take it to the post office to-night so that it will go first thing in the morning will you do that yes sobbed alice the old lady filled in a telegraph form and wrote i am sorry i did not wave mother there she said showing it yes please send it when she returned from giving it to the curate she found alice had recovered some composure she sat down beside her again and patted her hands you will get along my dear she said gently we all do we all get along somehow and it is very foolish of us to think we cannot 
oh i know i am not going to die but oh how i will miss her and there is another child coming her voice ended harshly it was some seconds before mrs brayton could trust herself to speak i'm sorry to hear that she said gravely she didn't know mrs brayton felt this was a case where something ought to be done though what she could not have put into words then her thoughts turned to helping alice to face it she might not have gone if she had known but sooner or later my dear she had to go now you can get on without her make up your mind to it the matter with you is that you don't adjust your mind beforehand to possible readjustments in your life everything is always a shock to you oh i don't know how to help it oh yes you do you know everything changes realize that it will you knew perfectly well your child would grow up and go away from you but you refused to face it you said she will not go instead of saying she will you did not want her to go and you tried to think she would live by your wants i know why she means so much to you but you don't own her she is only yours if you understand her you must love her less and understand her more my dear do you know a line of oscar wilde's for each man kills the thing he loves you don't well take it home with you and think about it it's one of the most telling lines in the language alice leaned back repeating the words to herself it hurt the old lady to see the lines on her face and the pallor of her cheeks and the twitching about her eyes cheer up my dear there's plenty to live for even yet i will try said alice feebly with the faint-hearted resolution of a person attempting what she knows to be an impossible task but before they went to bed mrs brayton had succeeded in comforting her beyond her hopes as she walked home in the fresh morning air and looked down upon the sun-flecked river dancing its way to the sea the natural vitality in alice reasserted itself and she realized once more that she could begin again and that she would not make the same tragic blunder in the future she had not been home ten minutes before bruce appeared to know if there was anything he could do when he had gone she told herself that she was in danger of taking what life had left her too much for granted at midday he brought her a telegram it isn't bad news he said at once i've had one as alice read it the tears sprang to her eyes it was very short and said simply cheer up i am still your child she told him of the telegram she had sent i'm glad you did for it was a pity you did not wave it hurt oh david her lips trembled he put his arm round her saying no more asia wrote every week in the third letter was the news that she was off on a six months tour of new zealand as pianist to a concert company at the fabulous salary of six pounds a week to alice this meant going on the stage it took her some weeks with the assistance of bruce and mrs brayton to adjust her mind to that but they managed to keep her from writing even cautiously what she thought of the experiment at the end of the first month she was amazed to receive a present of four pounds from asia and possibly the regular receipt of that amount every month helped her to modify her views of concert companies at the end of six months asia was prevented from accepting a second engagement by a telegram from bruce your mother very ill baby a week ago born dead she forbade us tell you serious relapse your return work wonders later in the day he received her reply he broke gently to alice the news that she was on the way home she immediately showed signs of improvement and four days later she was well enough to be propped up in bed to watch for the first sign of the sailing boat beyond the gap it was cold and wintry and the river was a dull and angry gray cut to intermittent foam by an irritable wind but it seemed to alice the friendliest river she had ever seen 
she was not strong enough to sit up all the time so betty stood by the window to watch too i do hope the steamer isn't late said alice dropping down after half a dozen disappointments now mother don't pleaded betty you must not get excited her eye caught something beyond the gap oh is that it cried alice mother don't jump up like that i'm not sure but it looks like the boat she picked up a small field glass yes i think it is the boat yes i'm sure it is now lie still mother for a while could she see if we waved asked alice eagerly no mother not yet i must see said alice perversely she lay with her head to the foot of the bed they had turned her round so that she could look out betty raised her till she could see the grey sail on the dull water then she sank back again her long plaits of hair falling on her shoulders her face flushed her eyes brilliant you must wave she said imperatively something she can see i'm sure she could see a sheet hang it from the window oh all right mother but i'm sure she can't see it yet do as i tell you said alice with sudden fierceness what's this said mrs king coming in you must keep calm dearie mother wants a sheet waved from the window and there is such a wind said betty i don't mind the wind it won't hurt me all right dearie mrs king sensed the situation but you must lie down and be covered up very well replied alice meekly mrs king and betty opened the window and held out a sheet that flapped furiously this is silly protested betty i'm sure she can't see and the children can wave from the cliffs that would be better now now soothed mrs king look what's that isn't that something waving from the boat that's not the sail don't you move sternly to the bed is it really begged alice from her mound of blankets yes she sees she's waving now you just keep calm feeble tears of happiness ran down alice's cheeks tell me where they are she said they announced the progress of the boat bit by bit as it came scudding on with the sails full reefed and the foam flying away in two wings behind it it was just such a day as asia loved best to sail upon the river when it reached the mill three low whistles rang out across the water that's for her cried betty excitedly a salute uncle david said the engineer was going to alice flushed again with pride way from the window now she commanded they're in the channel mother went on betty i can see her she's standing up and looking this way and she has on a dark dress and a white thing round her neck i wonder if it's fur oh my she's waving oh mother i must go mabel and bunty and elsie are off down the hill go on then said alice Shh, quietly frowned mrs king as she bounded forward you needn't hold the sheet any more said alice hoarsely tell me when she's coming i hope they won't keep her they're just by the spit now mr bruce is pulling down the sails she's moving to the bow now she's jumped out and she's running the children have got to her she isn't stopping bless her they're all after her now she's got to the store she's waving at somebody it's mr hargraves and mr roland she isn't stopping now dearie be calm she will be here in a minute and you must be quiet or she can't stay with you i will be quiet said alice peacefully nothing matters now they heard the wild shrieks of the children following her and then running steps and the click of the gate mother called a ringing voice from the front step and then mrs king went out to take the children round to the back alice saw nothing but a brilliant face that grew into the room till leaning down to her own it filled all space mrs king persuaded the children to go down to bruce to help to carry up asia's things there were two trunks and a travelling bag and a roll of umbrellas and a rug the girls gazed awed at this magnificence three umbrellas gasped mabel 
do you suppose she brought anything for us questioned betty the mere idea drove them all wild but bruce told them they would have to wait at the end of an hour he said asia would have to leave her mother and then it would be their turn as they followed him up the hill they all fought about carrying her umbrellas and the rug when everything had been set down in the back porch they sat down fascinated upon it lest by chance any of it should be spirited away i hope she brought me a railway train said bunty i told her i wanted one greedy pig that was just like you retorted elsie who was secretly aggrieved that she had not possessed his forethought while they waited with burning impatience mrs bob hargraves arrived with her babies she was a fresh and charming young mother who had won her way rapidly into the home life of the boss's house glad of a diversion betty and mabel turned excitedly to her and her children soon afterwards they heard a rustle of silks oh here's granny said mabel and everybody made way for mrs brayton who was dressed almost as she had been when she first walked down the green hill to the house on the cliffs of all her ancient gowns the much darned green and gold was asia's favorite get a chair bunty commanded betty i couldn't wait my dears said the old lady as she sat down i was watching for the boat and i knew she couldn't stay very long with your mother a few minutes later the waiting party was joined by tom roland and david bruce oh uncle david isn't it an hour yet cried mabel just about he smiled as he moved on into the hall mrs king then joined them and after a few more minutes of waiting bruce returned she's coming he said with her swift light step and an exciting little jangle of keys asia swung down the hall pausing for a moment to put her coat and hat her white fur and her small handbag into her own room which like the rest of the house had been gaily decked with flowers her face was flushed and there were traces of tears in her eyes as she stepped into the porch mrs brayton was the first person she saw a thrill fired everyone even roland to stand up as she bent over and kissed the trembling old lady then she turned more lightly to mrs hargraves did you bring me a railway train exploded bunty yes i did and asia joined in the general laughter that unpacking was a wonderful adventure things that had already become necessities to asia were still luxuries at the bay so that to betty and mabel almost everything that came out of those trunks was like an item from the arabian nights but the best thing about it all was that asia had forgotten nobody she seemed to have divined correctly what each person would have chosen for himself bunty was soon hugging his railway train elsie a fully dressed sleeping doll while betty and mabel gushed over the fine silks for new dresses with a surprised grunt roland accepted a pocket-book and bruce and mrs brayton smiled over new books and music asia's generosity had not stopped with the family for there were gifts for mrs hargraves and her children and for every other child about the bay and she had remembered all whose pronounced tastes had ever impressed her own groping progress towards finding out what she wanted for a mystic working on the tramway she had brought a book on theosophy and for the carpenter the latest work on socialism so it was no wonder that for weeks the whole bay revolved around her return her clothes and her new ideas with the latter she had come back stocked with the latest novelties in everything from wallpapers to cremation before she had been home a fortnight everybody knew that she had got the boss to promise that the sitting-room should be entirely refurbished according to her own instructions that the stove should be moved from the kitchen to the scullery that the kitchen should be transformed into a dining-room and that the house should have a veranda built round three sides with all this everybody agreed that greatness had not spoiled her 
she walked in by the back doors as she had always done and not even the most critical could find a trace of anything that might be called an air alice growing stronger from the moment she arrived did not worry now about the prospects of more adjustments the things she cared about were that asia brought in all her meals that asia was the first person to kiss her in the morning and the last to tuck her in at night that asia noticed more quickly than anyone else excepting bruce if the light was in her eyes that asia kept the house quiet and put fresh flowers in her room every day all these things she saw even before she had got over admiring the velvet cloak with fur collar and cuffs that had been the gift chosen for her and it really seemed more important to her that asia should not shake the bed than that she should have a tailored suit and six evening dresses even though the latter did rather take a breath away when by degrees she began to notice changes of manner and suggestions of worldliness she told herself it was nothing to worry about that the main thing was that in the fundamentals her fundamentals the world as far as she could see had not spoiled her child end of chapter nineteen